Well, today is, as you have just heard, a really good day for the church. And I don't want to ruin it, but I want to start by telling you why you should not go to church. I know. Okay. Maybe this is not the best idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here's the perspective that I'm coming with. Just so you know, this is just, this is me, my perspective, what I've seen, what I've experienced. Uh, I am a husband. I'm a father to two smallish kids, three and almost six. I've been a part of church life since I was born. I grew up in a pastor's house and have been in church most Sundays of my life, my whole life. I have attended, volunteered, interned, and then I have worked here at Westside for almost 13 years. I have personal experience with everything I'm about to list here when I give you reasons why you should not attend church. So if some of them resonate with you, just know they resonate with me, and these are not abstract. I've experienced them. I've been part of them. I've caused some of them, sadly, over the years. And if you have stories that you tell about any one of these points, I do too. So that's where I'm coming from. And uh, now, uh, as a pastor, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't attend church. You're too busy. Church is boring. Christians are hypocrites. There aren't enough people your age there. Life is just too hectic now. Church politics, church business meetings, church is irrelevant. You like to have brunch on Sundays, or you got hockey, or just sleeping in. Amen. Amen. <laughs> After. <laughs> I wasn't hoping this is where the enthusiasm would come. That's fine. <laughs> Some people are tired. I'm getting to that one. The church just wants your time or money or energy or all of them because you're hurting, you're tired and need to sleep in, you're burnt out. The church is too political. The church is not political enough and church people fight about everything. And again, I've experienced all of these things. I've come across it. I've been part of it. There's a ton of reasons why you should not attend church. And some of this is kind of funny, but some of it's true as well. And some of it you've probably had moments, maybe you've even had seasons where you go, I don't really want to be part of this, or I'm going to walk away from this for whatever reason. Lots of reasons why not to attend church. And I'm with you on that if you're feeling that. Now I want to tell you for the rest of the time why I believe with all of my heart that the church is the hope of the world. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 16. This is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus has been attracting crowds. He's been teaching. He's been doing miracles, and people are flocking around him, and there's something about Jesus, and, and some people love him, but some people hate him. Some people are so threatened and are starting to come against Jesus and his followers, and so there's this climate of just unease and wondering, where is this going to go? And um, tension is brewing, really, and one of the tension points is, who is Jesus? Who do people say that he is? And that's the conversation he's having with his disciples. And he says, well, who do people say that I am? His disciples come back and say, some people think you're a prophet, maybe a prophet from our history, and you've come back in some form. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist was kind of this prophetic guy who was out in the wilderness calling people to repent and change their lives. And then there's this conversation that zeroes in between him and his disciple, Simon Peter. It says, Jesus speaking, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So you are the Christ. You are the one that he's saying, I believe you're the one that the Jews have been waiting to come in to save us in every possible way, to bring us wholeness, to probably save us from our enemies, the Romans, but also to save us in this holistic way to make life right again for us. I believe that you're the living God. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter means rock, there's a play on words, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I want to take uh, some of those words and just talk about what they mean, because a lot of those words, we've just used them, and they almost lose meaning, or we have so much assumption behind them that maybe uh, we have certain connotations to what they are. But Jesus, when, when Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, son of the living God, and then Jesus goes, okay, this is something God has revealed to you. Something powerful uh, that God has revealed to you. And then this amazing statement. So on this rock, this foundation, I will build my church. Our English word for church, if you kind of look it up, it's derived from a German word that sounds similar. It's something like Kirch. My German's not good, so I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry if you speak German. Um, but uh, oftentimes we think of church and the German word is kind of what it means, or one way it could mean, as a location, as a building. Maybe some people we think of it as um, uh, like an event. So probably some of you this morning, you woke up and you said, I'm going to church. I'm going to that location. You're thinking, I'm going to that building. I'm going to be there for an hour, hour and a half, and there's certain things that we can do. And a lot of us, that's how we think of church. It's some place we go to. We pass by it on the road. There's the church. But the word that, that is used here in the text originally is uh, ecclesia, and it means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, or it's an assembly. So when Jesus uses this word, um, it's not actually originally a religious word. It's not like, oh, we're going to the big church with the high ceiling and the cross on the front. It was a gathering of people for some intentional purpose. So a bunch of citizens going, we got to come together. Maybe the purpose is political, something social. We're going to do something together. But the ecclesia was us gathering together. So when Jesus says uh, that I will build my church, he's not saying we're going to build a bunch of buildings, although we did over time, but I am going to build a group of people called out of their own individual lives into something bigger. And that group of people, the gates of Hades, it says, will not overcome it. So the assembly of my people, people gathered under my name for my purposes, will not be undone or overcome by the gates of Hades. Now, Hades in some translations, and some of us have just translated this as hell. And we think of hell, and there's a whole bunch of things that come along with that. A lot of the things we think about hell come from uh, popular culture and media and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter. Here, it's the gates of Hades. And Hades, not really hell for those who would have written this and read it originally. It was simply the place of the dead. And if you kind of research what did people think about Hades, it was how they talked about everybody who dies. You go to Hades. This is sort of the, the, the gray, mysterious land of the dead, that when you die, you go to Hades. And it became sort of short form for talking about Hades. So when we put that together, what Jesus is saying here is, on this declaration that Peter, you've made, that I am the Messiah, the Christ, the one who has come to save you, the son of the living God, I will build a group of people that not even death can defeat. I will pull people together in such a powerful, purposeful group that not even death will overcome them. 
Actually, he says, the gates of Hades. Think about why you put up gates for a second. Gates are defensive. Gates are protective. We put up a gate so that somebody can't come in and attack us or take what is ours. So in other words, hey, on on the foundation of this rock, I am building a group of people who are going to storm death and its gates won't even be able to stand. We are going to storm death and bring life together. And I feel like part of the background of this, because Jesus is sort of starting to prepare his disciples for the fact that he's actually going to die. And so I feel like part of the story as you read through this gospel, you're going, and Jesus is going, and when I die, this isn't going to stop. And when you die, this isn't going to stop. And when they die, it's not going to stop. It's going to keep going and going and going. My assembly of people will be a people who storm death and bring life. And death can't stop it. The grave can't overcome it. So we're not talking about, I got to go to church and enter a a building. Although we do. And our building is a great tool for us to meet and to be together. But we're talking about something that is so deep and so powerful. And you go, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't attend church. But what if there was a group of people you could be part of that was so loving and so life-giving that not even death could defeat that group? You want to be part of a church like that? I do be part of a community like that? I do. Here's today's core value in this series. We're teaching through some of our values, what makes us us, and one of our values as we kind of look back in our history and we said, man, what's our story and what are the things that really mean most to us? Uh, We had a group of people, some of our leaders get together a couple of months ago. And we told those stories. And one of the things that came out was all of us, we had these stories of we grow together. It's important for us that we grow together. So today, our value that we're talking about is growing together. And where I want to focus on is the together part. What does it look like for us to be together, to be that kind of people, to be that kind of group of people? We talk about, uh, well, we should be a loving people. Of course we should. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, Again, talking about what it looks like, you know, if you gather in the name of Jesus, if you're followers of Jesus, or maybe some of you, you're, you're questioning what it looks like to follow Jesus or to have faith. We welcome you in here to the conversation and to hear about it and hopefully to ask some questions. Jesus put it this way. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another, which is not a new command, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, we, just, we talk sometimes ad nauseum about love, love, love. Yes, we're supposed to be loving, 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 loving. Jesus says, here's the new commandment, not loving each other, because that's not a new commandment. You can find it all kinds of places in the Bible, in the history of Judaism. Jesus would have had tons of contemporaries that would have taught that, that God loves us and we love other people. The new part is, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Let's put some definitions around what it looks like to love each other. Jesus, in this part, uh, in John chapter 13, talking about how Jesus, who they've said is the Christ, the Savior, the one we're all following, he goes to dinner with them. These, these are guys who have been walking barefoot through very dry, dirty areas. And Jesus takes a basin and he gets on his knees and he takes the towel and he starts washing their feet. He does what only the servants or the slaves would have done in his culture. It was this powerful moment. And you can read in, in John chapter 13, they're having this dinner, and it actually says, uh, because Judas, one of his disciples, is plotting to betray him. And it talks about how this, this plan is going in, in, in effect, and the devil is, is working to get Jesus right where he is. And you expect that if Jesus knew that was happening, it's like, now Jesus, do the most powerful thing that you could do. Like, 
armies of angels, call them down and fight against those who are going to crucify you and arrest you and let's do whatever the most powerful thing we could do. And it says that he, he knelt down and he took the basin and he washed his disciples' feet. He took the low place, the humble place. He did what, it doesn't translate to us so much, but he did what they really needed him to do for them. He served them and loved them. And it was a picture of what he was going to continue to do because the authorities, the political authorities, the religious authorities were going to crucify him. You go, Jesus, this is your moment to do the most powerful thing you could do. Angel armies. And yet he puts on display what it looks like to love sacrificially. To not enact revenge, but instead to lovingly forgive, even from on a cross. It just blows our categories apart of what's powerful. And so when he says, this new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, says you go and you give yourself for other people. This is the love that God has for you. This is the love that builds a community that not even death can overcome. First John chapter three. So some people think that John the Gospels wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Some people think it were followers of John. They had taught them and he had written them. Either way, in 1st John chapter 3, I think they pick up, the author picks up on this theme, this life-giving love that Jesus was enacting. And it says in 1st John 3:14, we know, get this, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. We've passed from death to life like we figured it out. We're part of a community that not even can, death can destroy. We're part of this resurrected people because we love, because we love each other. And then he says, this is powerful. And anyone who doesn't love, anybody who's living outside of that, who's chosen not to live that way, remains in death. You go, what do you mean? It just means you're missing out. You're missing out on what God says. This is going to bring life to your life. This is, what, this is what's going to Bring everything that God wants for you to be this deep and powerful community of, of love. This is the new commandment that you would love. Like I loved you, Jesus said. So here's kind of the bottom line. We are not meant to attend church. We are meant to be the church. Yes, I want you to come on Sunday mornings. It's part of what we do. Yeah, I do want you to attend. But that's not the power. The power is not that we come and, oh, this was a good hour together. Oh, that was good. Somebody stood at the front and sang, and I liked the song. And, oh, there's somebody who talked to me about the Bible, and that was good. I hope you enjoy all that. I hope you learn from it. But we are not called to attend church. We're called to be the church. We're called to be the people that enact the love of Jesus to one another and let that flow out into the lives of people around you. Church is not a service one hour a week. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's not an event. All of these things are tools which means one day there will come a day. I hope it's not soon. But one day there's going to come a day where this building is not here. Or it looks drastically different. Somebody bulldozes it. They build something else. I don't know. I really like that we have this building and all that it affords us to do. But church is not this building. There will come a day where our programs look vastly different than they look today. Well, we'll change our methods and we'll do things differently and we're trying to be effective and we're trying to reach people. Some of you have been through decades and you go, yeah, I already know that because I went to church and now it's changed how we do it, all that kind of stuff. But I believe with all my heart that what will remain is people loving people the way that Jesus loves us. And those are the kind of groups that not even death can destroy. That's what endures a resurrected type of people. Let's go
go a little bit deeper. How do we live that out? You go, okay, that sounds sort of crazy, and I don't know if I'm all the way there, and uh, it's a lot harder than just attending. I get that. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about um, how followers of Jesus, we all have these gifts. So God gives us these gifts to use in the the community with each other uh, to help love each other in really practical ways. And he uses the metaphor of a body, just like our bodies, you know, we all uh, have different parts of our body. They're all important. When they're all working together, that's when things really work out. That's what he says. So Romans 12 verse 4 says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, lots of parts, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We're together, we're part of a body, we're, we're living. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. And if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Which means we're all necessary. Which means what I want you to know today is that the person that you are, your personality, your gifting, what God has given you, the group needs. The ecclesia needs, the gathering needs. And some of us, that's hard to get. You go, I don't know if I have anything to offer. I'm, I'm not the upfront person. I'm not musical. I'm not good with kids. And you go, I don't really know and uh, all that kind of stuff. But I assure you, I assure you that this group, this community needs what you have and what God has given you to contribute. So I think back to the, the hardest time in my life. And some of you who know me, you know my story. I talk about this uh, because it was a time in my life where God really did a lot of things. When I was 17 years old, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia. He fought for a year, and when I was 18, in my last year of high school, he died. You can imagine, I know some of you have have stories of grief and uh, such a difficult time. And I look back at that time, and I had this youth leader. His name is Brian. Uh, He was, at the time, a young dad, had a couple of kids at home with his wife. Uh, Brian was not the kind of guy that ever got up and taught us a Bible lesson. In fact, I think he's the kind of guy that if anybody asked him to teach the Bible lesson at youth group, uh, he would just be horrified. No, that's not my thing. I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. But after my dad died, Brian would call me, and he would invite me over to his house to watch football or to play video games or just to hang out. Um, when our favorite team played on Sunday night football or Monday night football, big primetime game, without fail, Brian would call me up, he'd come pick me up, and he'd take me out for chicken wings. We'd watch the game together. Brian just showed up for me over and over and over and over again to the point where after a while, I realized that if there was anything that I needed, he would do whatever he could. He would sacrifice to make sure he was there for me. And I look back to that time in my life, and I'm sure there were some good ones that were really helpful. I don't remember any sermons. I couldn't tell you any specific Bible lesson from youth group or Sunday morning church, but I will never forget Brian showing up for me. Because the church needs Brian's, and the church needs teachers, and the church needs encouragers, and the church needs people who show hospitality and mercy and who pray and who care and who love, and no matter who you are, where you're at, I believe God has a place for you. And God has things to con- that you can contribute to make a meaningful difference. The church needs you, your, your gifts, your personality, your contribution. And then I was reading this uh, from Romans chapter 12. 
and I was reading about all the gifts and, and the stuff, and, uh, you know, you might come to this point in the sermon, if I was you, I would come, because I started by saying, here's why you shouldn't attend church, and the church just wants your money, your time, and energy. And then I kind of came full circle and said, the church wants your time and energy. I didn't talk about it, but money. So you might be going, well, what's the deal? Didn't you tell me this is just not what it's all about? But of course, I think most of us intuitively know that any group that comes together, let alone one as powerful as what we've been reading about, any group only survives those who contribute. For Jesus followers, those who contribute with sacrificial love, right? Uh, Whether it's a sports team, whether it's a social group, political group, it's all about us contributing. So I hope that you're not offended to know, yes, that for this to go, for this community to happen, for all the things that we do, it's a togetherness where we come and we bring ourselves. Absolutely, that's part of it. But I was reading this, and here's what, I don't know, maybe this is really obvious to you, but never really stood out to me until I read it this week, but it just hit me, that if there are people who prophesy, it's because there are people who need to receive a word from God. And if there are people who are serving, it's because there are people who need to be served. And if someone is teaching, it's because there's a whole bunch of people who are learning. And if somebody's encouraging, then it's because there are people who are discouraged. And if there are people who are giving, it's because there are others who are in need. And if there are leaders who are leading people, there are those who are following. And if there are those who are showing mercy, it's because there are people who are struggling. You see, we realize that it's not just, I need something from you, from you, from you. It's, hey, we all come together because collectively we want to be for you. Because I believe that God wants to be for us. He wants to be for you. He wants to be for your family. He wants to be for our neighborhood. He wants to be for our city. And so as much as sometimes we get stuck in, man, seems like the church wants a lot from me, I want to move the conversation to what the church wants for you, for your neighbors, for people who don't yet know Jesus. How do we create the kind of culture, the kind of community that says, in response to Jesus saying, love the way I have loved you. So does it require something from us? Yes, so that we can demonstrate that the church, that God is for us, for all of us. So what if uh, part of the new future, coming out of a pandemic and starting to think about what God would call us to, what, what about it if there was a group of people who didn't just attend something, but a community that is characterized by their love for one another, to give and receive a love that resembles the love of Jesus who lays down his life, how attractive would that kind of community be to the world around us? How attractive would that kind of community be to you, to our children, to the ones we want to pass along our faith to as they grow up? So here we go. You might be right where you sit today, excited, energized, enthusiastic. And if that's you, we want to create environments where you can engage where you can serve and contribute and love. Because I know a lot of you are sitting there and as much as I go, yeah, the church requires a lot from you. Some of you are sitting there and you go, and I got something to give. I'm excited about this. We want to provide environments for you to engage. And one of the ways you can do that at any Sunday is take a Connect card. And on the back, uh, there's a section about joining a team. If you want to join a team, it doesn't have to be today. You maybe go and you pray about this. You think about it. Maybe you're still figuring out what being part of a church looks like. But on any Sunday, you can fill out your name and email, check off something, uh, check off you want to be one part of one of our groups, uh, leave it at our Connect Center. We'd love to get you connected so that you can engage in the mission of what's happening here at Westside Church, what's happening all around us. But there's going to be some seasons, and maybe you're in one right now that are tough. Your circumstances are tough. Your home life is tough. Perhaps 
you need to know that it's okay that you have doubts, that you can be discouraged, disillusioned, distressed, deflated. All those things are part of life. But here's my encouragement to you. Just don't be disengaged. I get it. There's times you got to sit. There's times you got to listen. There's times you need to be the one encouraged. There's times you need to come and bring your doubts and go, I don't know about all of this. I don't know about all these beliefs. But here's my heart for you is that you would still find a community that loves you, that's willing to journey with you and walk with you in all of those seasons. Because for those of us who are ready to engage and go, there's environments for that. And for those who need to be served in deep and practical ways, well, that's the whole point. So wherever you're at, I hope, um, I hope you'll find an engagement to be able not just to attend church, but to be church. So Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Uh, we want to thank you because this that we've talked about today is beyond our strength and power. And yet we've seen the display of love in Jesus, that he would give his entire life. And so I pray that you'd help us to bask in that accept it and receive it today. I pray for those of us who are excited and energetic that you would help us to to take the gifts you've given to us and express them in love in deep and practical, profound ways. We pray that you'd build up the ministry at at Westside in ways that we can see and in ways that we can't see. We pray that you you would infuse us with your love so much so that it just takes over and we can't help but share it with each other and with the people that are around us every week. And God, now I want to pray for those who maybe are, are discouraged or just filled with doubts, disillusioned, perhaps have been hurt or tired. Pray that today they might know your deep, sustaining love. I pray that they would experience through it through people that come around them and are there to lift them up, to walk beside them, perhaps to grieve or mourn with them. And we pray that over time, Again, it would be the love that's like the love of Jesus that would characterize this community and our mission together in Christ's name.